0: Let's pray. Father God, meet with us as we gather round your words. Speak to us the words we need to hear this morning. May they be good news in our ears. Amen. Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century. He's a key source for a lot of the background information we have about Jewish life in Judea and Galilee around the time of the Gospels. And in AD 66, Josephus met with a gang of Judean revolutionaries who were planning to overthrow their Roman oppressors. They were small in number, but what they lacked in numbers they made up for in enthusiasm. They were willing to die for their cause. Unfortunately, if they tried anything, that's precisely what would happen. No amount of willingness or enthusiasm could make up for the fact that there were only a handful of them, utterly underprepared, with virtually no resources, and they would simply get slaughtered. So at great risk to his own life, Josephus went to Galilee to persuade the rebels that their way would only end in disaster and he had a better alternative strategy that they should pursue. And the precise words he used are interesting. He said, repent and believe in me. Now Josephus wasn't claiming to be any kind of messianic figure. He certainly wasn't claiming to be divine. He wasn't even pointing to their moral failures and asking them to clean up their act. He was saying, look, your way isn't working and it's never going to work. I'm offering you another way. Choose that. Repent and believe in me. We've been walking through the story of Jesus told in the Gospel of Mark. So we've been introduced to John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. And then Jesus comes from Galilee and is baptized by John before disappearing into the wilderness where he faces trial or temptation. And today we read the first words Jesus speaks in the gospel. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Chances are these are more of a headline or summary statement of what Jesus said over a period of time. It would have been a very short sermon otherwise. Repent. What comes into your mind when you hear those words? What tone do you hear them in? How comfortably does it sit with good news? Well, this morning I want to look at these words from a few different angles. I want to talk a bit about the timing, when Jesus says them. Because Mark doesn't waste many words, but he tells us when Jesus announces his message. So what's significant about that? And then I want to say something about the content of the message. What is Jesus actually saying here? And finally, what sort of response is he looking for? But before we go there, a little bit of background. Mark never really explains what Jesus means by this kingdom of God which has come near. He assumes people will know unfortunately because we come from a different time and place it isn't so obvious to us and also because Matthew tends to talk of the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God people often assume Mark or Jesus were talking about an afterlife or the other somewhere we go when we die but that's not what's going on here the kingdom of God has less to do with location than whose rule it is we talk about the Victorian era, or the Thatcher years. And there's something of that in here. Jesus isn't pointing to a particular place from which God will reign. In a sense, he's saying, the Egyptians have had their time. So have the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Now it's time for God to row. This is the era of God. And that takes us on to a second thing. It wasn't otherworldly. It was very earthy. Those four words, the kingdom of God, summed up the hopes and aspirations of the people amongst whom Jesus walked. They recognised our messed up world couldn't be the way a good God intended it to be. But dying through the generations, they carried a hope that God would break into our world, do something new. He had set right a world gone wrong. They believed they had a central place in God's plan. Their finding story had been about blessing Abraham and through his descendants, the whole world. And their prophets spoke of other nations being so impressed by their way of life and their relationship with their God that everyone would want in on their secret. They'd be a light to the world. They would show everyone else what was possible. Unfortunately... Generations of disappointment stunted and stifled those hopes and aspirations. Now they just wanted to run their own country, rebuild their temple and see their enemies crushed. The whole blessing thing, it it dropped off the radar. And for the most part, they kept alive the hope that it would still happen. A good God wouldn't let a situation where the evil ruled and the good guys got trampled on last indefinitely. What they disagreed about was how it would happen. The Seilits had one answer, revolution. The reason they were oppressed was because they were wimps. They took it. They wouldn't fight back. If they just stood up for themselves, God would be bound to help them. Others had an entirely different view. People like Herodians, Sadducees, chief priests, they thought Seilits were mad. Any attempt to use violence against Rome was pointless. Have you seen them? You'll lose. You can't beat them. So join them. Josephus tended towards that position. In an odd way, they have something in common with the tax collectors. They're just making the best of a bad situation. Then there were the Essenes. They knew violence was pointless, but they were appalled by compromise. So they ran away. They withdrew into the desert. They lived in alternative communities like the one in Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They waited for a day when God would again assert his rule and would recognise them as his true people over and above everyone else. And finally, there were the Pharisees. As they saw it, it was very clear what God wanted them to do. He had told them in the Torah. So if they were overrun by pagans, it was because they were too sinful for God to help. And if people just did what God wanted them to do, God would respond to their faithfulness and the kingdom of God would come. One influential group of Pharisees believed that if all Israel kept God's law for just one day, they would see the kingdom of God. In their own ways, all these groups had a couple of things in common. They were all seeking a life that they believed God intended for. them. But they were also trying to work out just what they needed to do to make it happen. What they had to do to get God to break into their world. That's the background to these words of Jesus. So after John was arrested, Jesus arrived in Galilee preaching, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come there. Repent and believe the good news. There was something important about the timing of those words. Mark tells us it's after John is put in prison that Jesus arrives in Galilee with this announcement. Why is that important? For a brief moment, hope had been stirred up when John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, when he had called the people to repentance, when the people flocked out of Jerusalem and Judea to be baptised and hear about what God was going to do and sign up to be part of it. Finally, God was going to do something. But just as quickly as that flicker of hope was ignited, so it seemed to have been snuffed out. John was arrested. We're not given any details right now. We'll come to that somewhere down the line. But it must have felt like a crushing blow. Hopes had been built up only to be snatched away again. There must have been a sense of, how can God allow this? How could this happen? And yet, just when it seemed all over and everything might be lost, that's when Jesus arrives with a very different message. This is the moment. The time is right. God's era is about to begin. God's stepping into history. Now is the time to receive him. Even the language Mark uses to describe what happens is telling. Our Bibles speak of John being arrested. Mark actually says John is handed over. It's the same phrase that will be used later for Jesus when the Jewish leader handed him over to Pilate. And when Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. There's a sense of things just seem to be happening at random. But God's fully aware he's got this. It's just at the moment when the one sent by God seems to have been silenced that Jesus arrives saying, rumours of the decline of God's kingdom have been greatly exaggerated. It's not over. God's reign's about to begin. Life can feel a bit like that. We can feel tossed about by circumstances. It can all feel quite random, mysterious. It doesn't make much sense. You catch a glimmer of hope only for it to be snuffed out. You can feel God's forgotten you that hope can be dimmed. And I don't have all the reasons why. Anyone who says they do probably hasn't thought it through enough. Maybe we need to hear that message this morning. That this isn't over. That God's not finished yet. That the last word hasn't been spoken. Yeah, things might feel messed up right now. But hear the gospel. Just when it all seems messed up. There's still hope. Because God's not finished yet. There's still another chapter to be written. And with God, that chapter is good news. In some ways, the arrest of John was the signal that inspired Jesus to act. It looked like the movement towards God that John had started had been snuffed out. But Jesus seizes the moment. He acts before the momentum disappears. Where the hope had seemed gone, God wasn't finished. He was just turning the page. But there's also something about the content. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is about to break in. Everything's ready. Everything's in place. Eh? Hi, Jesus. I assume you didn't. Hear the news when you were out in the wilderness about John. The kingdom's farther away now than it was when you left. Besides, how can be everything be in place? We've all had our different ideas of what we needed to get into place before God acts. None of those things have happened. What do you want about it? But Jesus' message challenges all those assumptions. It's as if He said it was never about that in the first place. You had all these different ideas about what you needed to get God to act, to get God on your side. But you know what? What you wanted wasn't anywhere near as God intended anyway. And it was never about what you could make happen. It was never about what you had to do to earn it. Which kind of says good news. Because none of them were really working for you anyway. And maybe that too is a message we need to hear. How many of us live with that sense of never being good enough? How many live with that sense of guilt that God feels far off and it's our fault and if only we could do something to bring God nearer. If only we' better. I talked a little last week of that sense of thinking of God's love as conditional. That if we just do this, then God will do that. And over time, the stories might have changed a little, but there's still variations on the same old things. The same old rules, and if we keep them, then God might help us. And we try. Boy, do we try but we fall in the same ways over and over again. And maybe we need to hear those words. It's never been about you making it happen. It never was about you earning it. It was always about God and what he had done. It's said that a sign of madness is trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, the invitation to repentance is to lay aside that madness. It's an invitation to just stop, to set it down, to acknowledge your way wasn't working. And don't feel bad about it. It was never going to. It was never supposed to. And yes, it may challenge That's about the choices we make going forward and how we live. But we don't do that to win God's favour. It's simply we come to see and believe that the life he calls us to is a better one. The one we were created to live. And love is a far more powerful and certainly more joyful motivator for life than fear. You are called to that life by a God who loves you, who loves his world and will give anything to win it back. Repentance is about more than saying sorry for your misdemeanors. It's about changing where you lean your weight. It's about trusting that God is the way Jesus describes, that he's waiting for arms outstretched to welcome you, however you come. He's not waiting for you to come up to some kind of mark that you'll never reach anyway. Which is good news. Because it was never about you making it happen. Never about you earning it. It's simply a way of accepting that that your way wasn't working. was never going to work. But an alternative is being held out to you. And you're being invited to embrace it. And it's called the kingdom of God. And it's near. It's held out to you. God is holding it out to you and inviting you to trust him. Grace and peace.